Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. For just over two years, we've been studying and proclaiming the life of Jesus through the Gospel of Luke. And we're headed toward Easter. We've been with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as He agonizes through prayer over what He knows is coming. We've seen the betrayal of Judas, the denial of Peter. We've seen Jesus on trial. Actually, there's a series of six trials over a short time period. Jesus now arrested at night. And by mid-morning, he's been through rounds of accusations and trials. And what we see is people around Jesus asking, who is this man? Who is Jesus? That was the sermon title for last week, Who is Jesus? They can't quite come to grips with who he is. It's the same question we must wrestle with. Every one of us is confronted with that question. Who is this guy? Is he a teacher, just some wandering Jewish rabbi? Was he just a myth? Well, I think we can actually rule out that question because Jesus is an historical figure, someone attested to by Jewish and Roman historians of the day. So he is real. Well, is he a spiritual teacher and nothing more? Or is he, as Christians claim, to be God in the flesh? So Jesus is dragged through a series of, of trials in front of different groups of people, religious leaders, political leaders, and before crowds. The four gospel accounts are all histories of Jesus, and they look at his life from different facets, different angles, Take all four of those together, we get the six trials. Let me list them for you. At first, Jesus was questioned by Annas, the former high priest, and then by Caiaphas, the current high priest, who also happens to be son-in-law to Annas. Those are the first two trials, which included beatings and false accusations. Then in the morning... More accusations, more questioning. This time by the official Jewish body, the Sanhedrin. It's the uh, teachers of the law, the chief priests. Then he is sent to an initial meeting with Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor uh, over Jerusalem. Then to Herod, the appointed king over the region of Galilee. And finally back to Pontius Pilate in conjunction with the Jewish leaders and the crowd. Now, last week, the end of Luke 22, we heard about the third of these six trials. Daylight has broken. Jesus is brought before the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He doesn't deny that he is the long-awaited Messiah, and he even ups the ante when he claims to be the Son of Man. Now, that doesn't mean he's just 100% man, you know, son of man like all of us are, sons and daughters, you know, human speaking. 
for last week, we saw this when, when Jesus says, this is Luke 22, verse 69, but from now on, he's telling the chief priests and the teachers of the law, from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. Oh, but when Jesus says that, they freak out. They all ask, are you then the Son of God? You see, they wouldn't freak out if all he meant by that phrase was, I'm a man. So there's more going on. And last week, we looked at Daniel 7 from where this title, Son of Man, comes. It's worth hearing it again. Daniel writes, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Okay, so there's the title, Son of Man. Does that mean just a human like you and me coming from the clouds of heaven? So he existed in heaven before he came. He approached the ancient of days, that's God the Father, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. This isn't just a human being. This is none other than God in the flesh. Only He should be worshipped. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So when Jesus says, but from now on the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God, Jesus is looking back at Daniel 7 and he lets the religious leaders know he is the Son of Man. The one that has access to God's throne directly. Someone who will reign forever. Well, to their ears, this was blasphemy. And now they say, why do we need to hear any more? We've got all we need. You see, Jesus was someone to be dismissed, a nuisance in the least, but certainly much worse, a disruption to their authority and, and their popularity, a blasphemer, because he was claiming to be God. There was zero chance in their minds that he could be who he claims to be. Some of you may conclude, I just can't believe God took on flesh and, and lived among us. I just can't believe that this guy's death was needed for my sake. I just can't believe he was raised from death to life. That's not possible. If that's you, then by all means, disregard everything that Jesus has to say because he's a nutcase. If those things that he claimed for himself and his followers claimed for him aren't true, you can't trust someone like that. Uh, or some of us won't go quite that far to dismiss Jesus altogether, and so we'll sprinkle a little bit of Jesus into our lives and the places where we know it'll be of most benefit to us. That doesn't work. He either stands on his own or he doesn't. Jesus says he is the Son of Man. His claim is that he is God's presence and power. They only come through him. 
Well, this inquisition continues. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been waiting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied with him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. And Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. For the religious leaders, Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of Man, and the Son of God. Now for the political leaders, Jesus is the Messianic King. Two new characters are added to the drama of this night. Pontius Pilate, who was placed by the Romans to be governor over the region that includes Jerusalem, and he is the one responsible for the civil authority over that city. And then Herod. This is Herod Antipas, son of Herod the Great, who was ruling during Jesus' birth. Now his son is ruling during Jesus' death. Herod Antipas was also, like Pontius Pilate, appointed by the Romans over the region of Galilee. Now that's to the north. But he just so happened to be in Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. And look, it didn't take much for these guys to have you killed if they saw fit. Herod Antipas was the one who commissioned the beheading of John the Baptist. But here... Neither Pontius Pilate nor Herod saw any need to do anything with Jesus. If there was just a whiff of Jesus being an insurrectionist, Pontius Pilate would have pulled the trigger. Look at the charges they brought, these religious leaders, they brought against Jesus. See what they are? We have found this man, this is back to verse 2, we have found this man subverting our nation. So he's misleading people. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar. They accuse him of tax evasion, which, by the way, is not true. Just in Luke 20, upon looking at a coin, he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But then they said he claims to be a king. Well, those first two charges 
Pilate doesn't even flinch. I mean, why would he care about a wandering homeless rabbi who's not going to get a lot of taxes out of this guy anyway? But the thing Pilate zeroes in on is Jesus' claim to be a king. But he still doesn't find any guilt in him. Then he dismisses um, Jesus to go see Herod. Why? Because he finds out that, hey, Jesus is from Galilee. That's the region that Herod is over. Pilate does what every good leader does. This is controversial. People are up in arms about it. I'm going to pass him along. So I'm going to send him to Herod. Now, Herod's excited. Jesus is a local boy who's become sort of a celebrity. He hasn't had a chance to meet him yet, so he's ready for a magic show. But in front of Herod, Jesus remained silent. I think he understood that any words he uttered would be twisted and used against him. Herod sends Jesus back to Pilate. At this point, no one knows what to do with Jesus, so they resorted to to mocking him and dressing him up to look like a king. That really shouldn't come as a surprise. We see it all the time in the political arena. When we want to undercut someone, the language we resort to is mocking. Now, there's something else interesting here, and we saw it last week as well. Jesus gives a pretty ambiguous answer to a direct question. Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus' answer in the original Greek is just two words. You say. Well, in English, that's not even a sentence. We've got to fill that in a little bit more. We put other words in there. But Jesus purposely left it simple. Why? Again, it's the only true answer Jesus could give. Is he a king? Yes, absolutely. He will sit at the right hand of God. He is the promised Messiah, the Son of God, the one we've been anticipating, but not in the ways they were expecting. So if Jesus answers yes, then they'll put, them in their, they'll put him in their own categories looking for him to be a political, a military leader. If he answers no, he's lying to Pilate, and Jesus tells the truth. Jesus is the Messianic King, the one God promised. You see, you and I have two choices. There are only two options available to us. We either adopt the claims of Jesus for who He is, or we dismiss Him as being irrelevant. Well, the series of trials doesn't stop there. Jesus is sent back to Pilate. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither is Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. The whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! 
Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no charges for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Before the religious leaders, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of Man, the Son of God. Before the political leaders, He's the Messianic King. And before the people, we see that He is the innocent one. Pilate tells the crowd, we don't see any basis for the charges you've brought against Him. But they're screaming for Barabbas. They want an exchange. Jesus wasn't meeting their goals. He was not the means to their end. They wanted someone to bring up an insurrection over Rome, lead them back to power. They had one sitting in jail for that very thing. They want an exchange. You see, these people thought they knew exactly what their freedom should look like. They knew exactly what they wanted, how they wanted to experience freedom, and they wouldn't dare have that challenged. And you know, we do the same. We have our own concept of freedom, and we think it's to live life without constraints, to do anything we want at any time. Actually, our greatest freedom is being placed in an environment with boundaries where we get to flourish. I mean, it's like fish in a fish tank. At various times in my, in my life, upbringing through marriage, I've had fish as pets, or Lori did. What if I said, well, fish shouldn't have to live in these constraints, walls, <laughs> no matter how spacious. I think they should be set free. What if we take them outside and take them for walks? I mean, wouldn't that be freeing? We believe we can live without constraints. That's not freedom at all. You and I have been made in the image and likeness of God. You have something of the glory and grandeur of God that He has shaped within you. For every one of us, sin has blocked out a lot of that, but we do catch glimpses. His fingerprints, His handiwork on you. And when you want to just throw off God's presence and God's power so you can pursue freedom, you will lead yourself only toward that which is less, not more. Jesus didn't fit into any of the categories of many of the people of his day, nor ours. You see, many people want to look at Jesus as a good teacher and nothing more. So when we don't want to live up to the rules that Jesus talked about, what do we do? 
Well, we dismiss him as antiquated and oppressive, exclusive. Jesus is the innocent one. And he laid down his life to give us real freedom. Here, his life was exchanged for Barabbas. But ultimately, his life was exchanged for ours. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans 6. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God and eternal is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is freedom that leads to life. As the praise team comes back, let me bring us back to that ultimate question where we began. Who is Jesus? Who do you say that he is? Is he the Son of Man? the Messiah, the King of Kings. You see, we don't want you to miss out on the truth. What you do with Jesus has eternal consequences. Don't leave here just missing Him from your life because it's all true and it changes everything. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.